Hi, my name is Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot audio ground school podcast hello and welcome to the audio ground school podcast i'm nick smith your host and founder creator of parttimepilot.com online ground school for private pilots and a resource center for those who want to fly those who want to become a pilot, achieve that childhood dream. All right, in today's episode, we're going to do a couple segments that we do before the show. We're going to read off a couple reviews that we got, and then we're going to do a listener question, and then we're going to get into the online ground school lessons. We're going to continue on the section on cross-country flight planning with a lesson on distance to climb to cruise altitude. It's a bit of a longer lesson. If we get through it, we'll go to distance to descend to landing destination destination, airport, traffic pattern, altitude. So we've been following along on our cross-country plan. We've been keeping a cross-country nav log in our head, step-by-step going through it. And the next is we need to see how long it's going to take us to climb and how long it's going to take us to descend so we can plan our checkpoints accordingly and know when to do that and how much fuel we're going to use and how much time it's going to take and all that. So we got to do that using our performance charts. So we'll get into that. But first, let's read off a couple reviews. Now, I didn't get any reviews on on the podcast episode since the last time I recorded. I'm kind of recording a few of these in a row. So the next few episodes, I might have to pull some reviews from another source. And that source is trustpilot.com. It's a review website and that's where we send people to review us. And so if you want to leave us a review for our anything part-time pilot, whether it's our social media, our ground school, it's meant for the products that we do sell, which is the ground school and check ride prep. But if you wanted to review the podcast on there, go ahead and do that. Anyway, so I'm going to read a couple off from there. Like I said, I'm recording a few podcasts in a row, so I might run out of podcast reviews. But if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I will go ahead and read it off here live on the podcast. Thank you for those who leave reviews. And I think it's really fun. And I learn a lot from them to know what you guys like, what you guys don't like and all that stuff. So without further ado, let's read off a couple of reviews. The first one is from Randolph Russell. It's five stars. You won't regret this purchase. I made the decision to pursue my dream of being a pilot and part-time pilot is making it easier than I thought it would be. The accessibility to the material on your schedule is invaluable. I work long days and frequently out of town, so a classroom setting wouldn't work for me. I needed a way to absorb the material on the go and from nearly anywhere, and that's what part-time pilot gives you. The podcast to listen to while you drive or work out, the online lessons to work through at home, on lunch breaks, or in a hotel, or wherever you happen to be. So I chose this review, one, because it's a great review, but two, 
too. It really points at one of the mission statements of part-time pilot, making it easier to become a pilot. It's in our name, part-time pilot, right? I know that almost 90% of the people who want to become pilots out there, you know, they don't have daddy and mommy. Not that that's bad if you have money in your family and they can pay you to fly full-time. That's fine, but a lot of people have responsibilities. We have jobs, we have kids. It takes up a lot of our time and we only have a few hours maybe every day or maybe even every week to achieve our dream. So that part-time time, we really wanna be as efficient as possible and get the most out of our studying. And so that's why I try to make it more accessible with this podcast and being able to study whenever, wherever, and all that stuff. So that's why I wanted to read off that review and it is one of the more recent reviews as well. Now I don't just pick all the good reviews. It just so happens that we get good reviews. So I appreciate you guys uh, giving me good reviews. But on Trustpilot, we have an overall review total of 4.9 stars. Occasionally we get a lower review, but it's usually a misunderstanding, but that's okay. Maybe I'll read off one of those one day, but we have to get them first. So the next one is by Duncan. Five stars, absolutely amazing team. Absolutely amazing support. The team goes above and beyond when it comes to any kind of questions or concerns. The resources they provide are also top notch. An amazing price for lifetime membership, audio and visual ground school, flashcards, study material, just all around a spectacular setup. That's the most recent review we got. So Duncan, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. I'm gonna read one more. Five stars from Rebecca Coker. We all share the same dream with some blue hearts. After searching for popular ground schools, this one caught my eye and I thought, I've never heard of him. That same day, after reading so many good reviews and seeing how active Nick is and how he is so determined to help us succeed, I bought the program within a heartbeat. It's not just him, it's also the people that follow him. This is a family of those who share the same dream. This is where I feel like I belong. I don't regret this and I can't wait to tag them throughout my journey. Amazing review. This one's so cool because it points out the community that we've built at Part Time Pilot. Growing up, my parents always told me, you'll attract what you put out into the world. You always wanna respect others if you want respect in return. And that's what I've tried to do and that's what I've tried to do with Part Time Pilot. Just be open to any questions try and give 100% of my effort to helping. And that really has come back in the people that we've attracted in our community, a part-time pilot, in our Facebook study group, you know, the people on our Instagrams. It is very rare that we get those b-holes coming in and just kind of ruin it for everybody. It's very rare that we get those. Truly, truly just an amazing bunch of nice, helpful people in our community. So I'm glad that Rebecca pointed that out. Thank you, Rebecca. And thank you all for being such amazing people and coming to part-time pilots. You, I mean, you guys are helping me with my business by just being great people in a great community. So thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So that's the listener reviews. If you, again, please leave us a review on the Apple podcast. You can leave reviews. But if you want to leave a review about the podcast or the ground score or any of our content, you can do that even if you don't have Apple podcast at trustpilot.com. Just search for part-time pilot in their search bar. All right. So let's get now to the segment on listener questions. We're going to do one question today so we can get into the ground school lesson but this is a good question that I think you guys all will find helpful. All right, so this question came to our Facebook study group. It says, what and when is the proper procedure for closing a VFR flight plan? This is a great question, and this is something that you'll want to remember, especially when you're flying, flying solo. And if you don't remember to close your flight plan, you could get into some trouble financially because you might end up footing a emergency rescue bill. Uh, Because if you don't close a flight plan, they don't know that you've landed safely necessarily. The possibility 
exists where if you don't close out your flight plan, they don't know that you've landed and they might do some search and rescue for you. This happened to me. Usually they will automatically, if it's a local flight, they will close it for you, but you just got to be careful and remember to close it. I, as a student, forgot to close it once and that this is the exact thing they warned me about. So they could just be using scare tactics, but let's all remember close the flight plan. So you can close it in air via the radio. So basically you want to do this through FSS, flight service stations. You can also do it when you call a, you know, 1-800-WX-BRIEF. That's the same thing. You're, you're talking to a flight service station and they're going to give you a weather brief and they can open and close the flight plan for you. You can also do it via email through WX brief or their website. So there's a bunch of ways that you can do it. So you can do it again. You can radio in the air to the FSS. You can do it by phone on the ground or, you know, WX brief or calling the FSS directly, or you can do it on the internet. And I think they have a way you can do it over email or even text message now. So there's a lot of easy ways to do it. You just got to remember to do it. And then I want to thank one of our students. This is why our Facebook study group is so awesome. You know, when you ask a question in there, not only will we answer it within an hour or two, you're going to get other input from other student pilots, private pilots, instructors, and stuff like that. So you get a multiple perspectives. And I want to thank Keith for having this comment. He relates it to the FA written exam, basically. And the FA written exam, you know, if you've taken it, you know, or you're studying for it, you know that sometimes it can be kind of annoying because the FA will put multiple right answers or, or answers that sound right, but the most right answer is one of them. Anyway, so Keith kind of talks about that and then he goes in and gives an example of one of these questions regarding a flight plan from the FA written. So I thought I'd read that and thank you, Keith, for this context. How should a VFR flight plan be closed at the completion of the flight at a controlled airport? A, the tower will automatically close the flight plan when the aircraft turns off the runway. B, the pilot must close the flight plan with the nearest FSS or other FAA facility upon landing or C, the tower will relay the instructions to the nearest FSS when the aircraft contacts the tower for landing. Because there's a lot of things that you can do with the tower with FSS. These all sort of kind of sound like they could be viable answers. But the key here is to know that in terms of a flight plan, the tower is not going to do anything for you. They got enough stuff to handle with traffic separation and advisories and stuff like that, that they're handling. They're not going to close your flight plan for you. And they're not going to tell FSS that they'll close the flight plan for you. So that is up to you to do. And we mentioned all the ways that you can do that, the phone, internet, text, or even the radio to an FSS while in the air. All right. So great question. Thank you as well, Keith, for providing that input. And let's move on with the lessons. All right, so if you're following along in the online ground school, which I highly recommend because when you get the audio and you include you know, the lessons, the images, the mnemonic devices, the videos and the quizzes, all that, this stuff is really gonna penetrate your brain and never leave. So if you're following along, go to your dashboard. We organize everything by courses. We have a start here kind of introduction course and a pre-assessment if you've taken ground school before. Then we have courses labeled by steps. So step one is gonna be all the lessons. So that's gonna be you know lessons, videos, images, quizzes, all that stuff, even the audio lessons that we're that we create these podcasts out of so those are going to be in step one and step two we do practice test. step three we work with you to get your endorsement so in the step one course that's what you want to do that's all the lessons here we're in section 12 that's on cross-country planning and we are on of section 12 cross-country planning we're on lesson eight today which is distance to climb to cruise altitude let's go in to that lesson right now Hey pilots, this is Nick again. Did you guys know that Part-Time Pilot now has a 
private pilot test prep book that you can buy on Amazon. It's a physical book that you can buy on Amazon to help prep for your FAA written exam. So it's like the other test prep books out there, you know, the Jepson, Asa, or the Gleam, Glime, however you pronounce it. It's just like those, but I called ours the ultimate private pilot test prep because not only does it give you a synopsis of each subject, like the cliff notes, like those other books do, and then it gives you FAA written questions to practice and quiz yourself on to, to prep for the test, but it also goes much, much further, and that's why we call it the ultimate private pilot test prep book. So for each subject, it also has a QR code so that as you're reading it, if you want more information, you can scan the QR code on your phone or your tablet and it will immediately pull up a YouTube video that you can watch on the subject. There's also QR codes in there for additional downloads including FAA, PDFs, subject area checklists, and more PDFs from us that you can download for free. It also includes a coupon code and QR code where you can go enroll in online practice tests for free and receive the PDF version of the book completely free. All that is with simple, easy to use QR codes inside the book. And then we also, not only does it have the cliff notes of all the information, but it also includes mnemonic devices and visual aids, such as diagrams, tables, and images that are labeled, such as like a METAR that is labeled every single thing that is included and deciphered in the METAR or a TAF. Also the performance chart, step-by-step labeled steps on performance calculation charts. So it's not just cliff note bullet points, it's that plus much, much more, these visual aids, all in 404 pages in the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep book, and it is only $37. So you can go check that out on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes, so go check it out. Hey pilots, this is Nick. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you may have heard us talking about core aviation headsets and how with the coupon code part-time pilot, you can get 10% off and free shipping. Well, I just wanted to let you know that that got better. You can now get 15% off and free shipping. So an extra 5% off on core aviation headsets. These are a fantastic beginner headset. Now I say beginner just because they are at a beginner price. You know, when we're starting off with flight training, we want to keep all our funds for flight training because it is so expensive. And this gives us that affordable option to do that. But then it's not exactly a beginner headset because I have still had my core aviation headsets that I got way back when, when I was a student pilot. It's almost five years ago. It's still working great and I've had zero problems with it. So with that 15% off now, use coupon code part-time pilot. I'll put a link in the show notes, but with that you get 50% off, you get free shipping. You can get your very own headset for I think less than $100 still. So, and or you can get their more advanced headset for less than $200. That is a steal and it is way better than sharing those sweaty old headsets that have issues and connection issues at your flight school. So go ahead and check out Core Aviation headsets and use code Code part-time pilot. So throughout the the section on cross-country planning, we've sort of been keeping a mental nav log of this kind of like arbitrary cross-country flight plan. Now, if you want a specific example of a flight plan from start to finish inside the online ground school, go to your bonus course. We have a cross-country planning ebook, which goes into a bunch of detail and a bunch of examples on every single one of these steps. But then we have a cross-country planning guide, which is basically the ebook, but just sort of like condensed into a quicker type of guide 
guide again that has an example from start to finish and we even have a video series where it's just me computing a cross-country plan from start to finish those are all in your bonus video vault and downloads course so go check that out here in the lessons again we have this sort of vague arbitrary navlog but we have examples for each step and we've been keeping this navlog right so we started with we came up with our checkpoints we figured out where our checkpoints we want to be what kind of checkpoints we want then we chose our altitudes at each of those checkpoints so we've chose our cruise altitude you know to make sure that we're clear we're following the hemispheric rule we're clear of terrain obstacles stuff like that and then we measured the distances between each of our checkpoints and then we next column of our nav log we added up all those distances as we went down the rows to get cumulative distances traveled because we're going to need that total distance then we even estimated our fuel needed using kind of the distances and estimated ground speed and time and then we measured our true courses on between our each checkpoint so for each leg of flight we measured a true course on our sectional chart and then we found the isogonic variation we found the isogonic line to get our variation so that we can go from a true course to a magnetic course that's the next column and then after that we found winds and temperature data at the time of our flight for takeoff landing and cruise so now we have columns for winds temperature at each of our checkpoints so now the reason we had to do that is because we need that to calculate performance so this is the point where we're now going to be calculating the performance and the performance depends remember our density altitude lesson the performance depends on the atmospheric conditions right the higher the temperature the higher the density altitude the worse your performance is we have a specific performance chart or data on our aircraft for these different temperatures and pressure altitudes now we're, we have all that information now so now we can use those charts and graphs to calculate our performance so we know exactly where to expect we're going to be how long it takes us to climb descend how fast we can go with the expected forecasted weather condition all right so that's what we're here to do that's just a little recap and now we're going to do the distance to climb to cruise altitude so next we will use the performance chart in our pilot operating handbook poh or approved flight manual afm to calculate how much distance and fuel it will take to climb to our cruise altitude to do this we will use the fuel time distance to climb chart for our aircraft with the corresponding temperature at our altitude and again this is what we found from our winds aloft we will not use this chart to calculate time because a more accurate calculation of time will be done later when we have ground speed with wind effects incorporated the climb performance chart it gives us the fuel time and distance it'll take us to climb now you could use the time values that you get from this performance chart you could use that it's totally acceptable and on your check ride you know just explain to the examiner how you got that time during climb whether you waited until you had the winds and you use you know the, the wind data to, and ground speed to then calculate time like you do in cruise or if you use your performance chart like your climb performance chart it's okay i like to do incorporate the winds because i think it's a little bit more accurate and with time it's a little bit more human error in these charts in the climb performance charts for time so that's why i like to calculate time later but you're totally fine you can calculate time using this chart for your climb if you wanted to so to use this chart when the temperature and altitude is known you follow this sequence first you're going to find your temperature on the bottom axis and again we're using the type of climb performance chart that you're going to see on the fa written or like in a Cherokee Warrior. I think for Cessnas, I usually fly a Warrior and I, we have this in the course here as well. Let me see, let's get here. Yes, okay, there is for Cessna. So we do talk about, I think all performance with a Cessna, they do a table. It's like a lookup table where you'll find the values and we'll cover this. But right now we're talking about the charts like in a 
Piper Cherokee or what you would see on the FAA written exam. And so, and then we'll go over how to use the table. But these steps right here are how to use the chart. So find your temperature at the bottom axis and draw a straight line up to your cruise pressure altitude. Then step two, draw a horizontal line from the top of this line at your cruise pressure altitude. So the, where your temperature meets your cruise pressure altitude all the way to the right of the chart. Step three, draw three vertical lines down from each point where this line intersects with the three curves. And those curves are for fuel, time and distance. So on this chart, you'll see a curve, you know, black line for fuel, black curved line for time, a black curved line for distance. When you draw that horizontal line to the right from the place where your temperature and your pressure altitude at cruise met, you're gonna draw a straight line to the right and then where that line intersects those three curves, at the intersection point, you're gonna draw a straight line down. This is the next step where that three straight lines down from those intersection points of each curve line meet the x-axis, you're gonna read off a value. And so the line drawn down from the intersection of the fuel line, that's gonna be the fuel value for this particular step. And then where that line that intersected the time curve goes down on the x-axis, that's gonna be your time value. And then the same for distance. So now you have the fuel and distance it'll take. So again, we're not doing time this way, we're gonna do time another way, but you're totally capable or acceptable to do time. It would be the same sort of procedure. But now you have the fuel and distance that will take your aircraft to climb from sea level to your cruise pressure altitude. But wait, we probably aren't taking off from sea level, right? So this tells us if we put in, you know, we're, we're finding our cruise altitude, we're telling this chart, how long does it take to go from sea level to our cruise altitude? How long does it take? How much fuel will it take? And what's the distance it'll take? That's what this chart's telling us, but it's from sea level. But hold on, because we're probably not taking off from sea level. So we need to figure out the fuel time and distance it'll take us to climb from our takeoff airport elevation, not sea level, converted to a pressure altitude, and find the difference to our cruise pressure altitude, right? We want the time it'll take to climb from our elevation of our airport to our cruise altitude, not from sea level to our cruise altitude. So we have to do another step. We have to do this process again for our takeoff elevation. And then we find the difference of the values. And that's what we're looking for. That's going to be the time, fuel and distance it'll take to go from our elevation to our cruise altitude. So since we already calculated our takeoff airport elevation in terms of pressure altitude in our nav log, we did this a couple lessons ago, we can perform our procedure on the fuel time and distance to climb chart again with this altitude and the corresponding temperature forecasted at the airport. This temperature can be found from terminal area forecast, local weather forecast, or graphical area forecast like on aviationweather.org. And that should be .gov, aviationweather.gov. Anyways, so we already went over this, how to get that information. So following the same steps as above with this new altitude and temperature will give us the fuel and distance to climb from sea level to our airport elevation. So if our airport elevation was 500 feet pressure altitude and we use that chart, right? We find the temperature on the bottom axis, we draw a straight line up to that 500 feet pressure altitude. We draw a horizontal line over, see where it intersects, the curves for fuel time and distance then draw lines down. We'll get a value for fuel time and distance. This value that we get would be the fuel time and distance it takes to go from sea level to our takeoff elevation. Obviously, this has no practical meaning to us, but once we find this, then we also have previously got the values to go from sea level 
to our cruise. So we just take the difference between those two values and that'll give us the fuel time and distance to go from our takeoff elevation to our cruise out. So that's why we have to do it twice and then take the difference of the two values. So that's what we do in this last step. So we do it again at our elevation, pressure altitude, we find the fuel and distance values and time if you wanna do time. And then we take the difference between the fuel and distance values that we found from sea level to our cruise altitude. So let's do an example, right? And we find the difference between that and the values that we just did for sea level to our takeoff elevator. So let's do an example. Let's say when we did our cruise altitude, so sea level to cruise, we did the cruise altitude on the performance chart with the temperature at cruise. Let's say we got for fuel, we got 20 gallons. And then for distance, we got, I'm just making this up. I have no idea if these would mean anything. Let's say we got 20 gallons and 50 nautical miles. All right, so those were the values to go how long it'll take and how much fuel you'll need to travel from sea level to our cruise altitude. 20 gallons and 50 nautical miles, right? So next we do it again with our takeoff elevation pressure altitude. So let's say that's 500 feet and we do it again and we get you know two gallons and five nautical miles as our value. So now we're gonna take the 20 gallons for our cruise altitude when we did it with our cruise altitude and we're gonna subtract the two gallons that we got when we did our takeoff elevation. So 20 minus two will be 18, 18 gallons. And then we'll do the same for distance. So distance was 50 when we did our cruise altitude and then it was five when we did our takeoff altitude. So 50 minus five is 45. So we have 18 gallons and 45 nautical miles. That's how long and how much fuel it's going to take to go from our takeoff elevation to our cruise altitude. So finding the total distance required to climb to cruise allows us to put a checkpoint at the top of our climb, which is going to make calculations easier. So this is kind of a transition to the next sort of thing that I'm going to talk about. Okay, so back with our example, we got 45 nautical miles. That's the total distance that a quick example required to reach our cruise altitude, to climb to our cruise altitude. So this total distance required to climb to cruise allows us to put a checkpoint at the top of our climb, which is gonna make calculations easier. So we're not going to go into doing this, but remember, and we already chose checkpoints, but let's say we have a checkpoint at, you know, so we start at our starting airport and then we go to one checkpoint, checkpoint one, and that's 20 nautical miles away. And then checkpoint two is another 15 nautical miles away. So now we have a total of 35 nautical miles that we've traveled. And then checkpoint three is another 15 nautical miles away. So that would be 50 nautical miles, right? If it takes us 45 nautical miles to climb, that means we're going to climb. We're going to reach our cruise altitude somewhere between checkpoint two and checkpoint three. At checkpoint three, that's 50 nautical miles from the start. And then at checkpoint two, that's 35 nautical miles from the start. And if we reach the top of our climb at 45 nautical miles, that's somewhere in between checkpoints two and three. Now, because later on, we're kind of thinking ahead on our cross-country planning and calculations. Later on, we're going to have to calculate fuel fuel burn and other performance based off what our engine's doing. And we'll do that differently, whether we're in cruise or, you know, we're in cruise flight or whether we're climbing, you know, with full engine power, not leaned or anything like that. It's different when it comes to giving us the answer for fuel burn and ground speed and stuff like that. So we want to make it easier on ourselves. And instead of having a leg of flight between checkpoint two and three that has two different phases of flight, right? It's climb for the first 10 nautical miles and then there's a cruise flight for the last five. Let's just make it, let's just move checkpoint three, five nautical miles earlier so that right when you get to checkpoint three, that should be your top of climb. Now this does two things. One, you know that from, you're gonna be climbing 
all the way to checkpoint one and all the way to checkpoint two. The whole time to checkpoint one and two, you're gonna be climbing. So that does one thing. And so you can calculate all those values, all those legs of flight using climb performance charts. And then after, when you get to checkpoint three, you're going to calculate everything with cruise performance charts because you know you're gonna be in cruise. And the second thing it does is that it gives you sort of a mental check when you're in the air. Let's say checkpoint three is a lake and you know that, okay, when I get to this lake, I should be close to my top of climb. So if you're not your top of climb, at the lake, let's say you're not even close, you'll be like, hmm, my aircraft, my climb performance, it's much less than I anticipated. So that means I'm gonna be climbing for longer. That means I'm gonna be flying slower. I'm gonna take more time. I'm gonna have more engine power on for longer. So I'm gonna burn more fuel. And these are sort of mental notes you wanna take when you're flying along on a cross country flight. So it does two things when you make it easier for yourself. And I know we already, that was one of the first steps we did is we chose our checkpoints, but now we're just gonna adjust them a little bit to make it easy on ourselves. So we're gonna just kind of move one of those checkpoints so that we have one directly at the top of our climb. And that's what we did. That's one of the things that's helpful for finding the total distance required to climb. We can put a checkpoint right on that top of distance. And if there's not like something obvious, like a lake or a river or a you know, water tower or something, you can use some VOR radials to tell you when you should be at the top of climb. So when you pass a certain VRR radial, you can have that dialed in as kind of a check. When your needle centers, that should be the top of climb. So there's multiple ways to do that, even if there's not a visual thing to look at, but usually there is. That's just a side note. We're not going to do that in this example. We're just going to assume that our top of climb, you know, takes us where we want to be and we'll we'll do, you know, the cruise calculations separately. Again, in our bonus downloads course, we have the cross country planning ebook and cross country planning guide in both of those and the video series. I go into detail on exactly how to do this in the examples. So if you want to check that out, how to move that checkpoint around and get exactly on there, go and check those out. For these lessons and, you know, really preparing for the FAA written exam, that's not something we need to do or learn. More of a check ride, cross-country planning scenario type of thing. So if you're just studying for the FAA written, maybe don't worry about that now. But for the check ride, you'll want to download those materials and take a look at those examples. All right, so let's continue on and let's do another example. Assume we are taking off from an airport with an elevation of 500 feet. The altimeter setting at our airport is 29.80 inches of mercury. So we convert our elevation to a pressure altitude. Pressure altitude equals 500 plus 1000 times the quantity of the standard altimeter setting, 29.92 minus 29.80. So 29.92 minus 29.80, that's gonna give us 0.12. We multiply that by 1000, we get 120, and then we add that to 500. It gives us a pressure altitude of 620 feet. Also assume that we are climbing to a cruise altitude of 6,500 feet that we convert to, a, we also convert to a pressure altitude because we always want to work with pressure altitudes. That's like our reference calculation altitude. So we do 6,500 plus 1,000 times the quantity again of 29.92 minus 29.80. So that's going to add again 120 feet. So instead of 6,500, we're going to be working with a pressure altitude of 6,620 feet. Now we're using these charts, that difference of 100 feet might not change much because, you know, when we eyeball the, a change of just 100 feet, it might be a little hard on these charts. You'll know what I'm talking about when you look at these charts. So again, in this example, we're using like the climb performance charts that you see on a Piper Cherokee Warrior. We'll get to a Cessna example here in a little bit, but you'll also see these on the FAA written exam. 
So the temperature on the ground at our departure airport is 17 degrees Celsius. We found this from using a terminal area forecast or local area forecast. The temperature expected at our cruising altitude of 6,500 feet or you know, our pressure altitude of 6,620 feet is 11 degrees Celsius. Again, this is found from interpolating winds aloft data between 6,000 feet column and 9,000 feet column. Again, we talked about when you're doing winds aloft data, right? You get data every 3,000 feet. So at 3,000, 6,000, 9,000, 12,000. So you're not always going to climb to those exact altitudes. So you have to do some interpolation with winds. Just take the worst case scenario for winds, whichever altitude is worst case. Or if you're like really close, like for example, if you're at 6,000, you know, 400, you could just use a 6,000 column that's close enough. But for temperature that we have a temperature lapse rate that is pretty standard. So you can use that lapse rate to kind of understand what the temperature change is going to be. And you can interpolate linearly between say 6,000 and 9,000. So that's what we did here to get 11 degrees Celsius. So the first thing we do is using the steps outlined in the picture that we show here. So we have a chart fuel time and distance to climb performance chart from it for a PA 28-161 warrior. And we have labeled on here, we have the lines drawn. We have each step labeled on here on how to do that. But again, that's the same thing we did before. So first we find 17 degrees on the X axis. We draw a straight line up to our pressure altitude of 620 feet. Here, we're gonna do our takeoff altitude first. From that intersection point of the temperature and our pressure altitude, we draw a horizontal line to the right. Where that intersects our fuel, time, and distance to climb charts, we're gonna draw three straight lines down, back down to the X axis. Then we're going to read off our values for fuel, time, and distance where those lines meet the x-axis. So from we show here, you can tell that it's hard to distinguish accurate values of fuel, time, and distance at low altitudes because the curve lines are so close together. It's very hard to kind of distinguish between them and get real accurate, but just do your best in estimating the values. And remember, it's better to always be conservative. In this case, in our example, a conservative value would be a lower value because we are subtracting it from the cruise values. So that'll give us larger values of fuel that we expect to burn. Just to kind of think ahead and just be a little bit more conservative. But here in this example, we eyeball this as a fuel of about 0.4 gallons, a time of 1.5 minutes and a distance of 1.5. Again, for now, we will just need the distance value. We will need to keep the value of fuel for a later calculation. And then again, depending on your preference, you may record the value of time and calculate time for climb this way but again i'm gonna do that later because i as i spoke before i like to do it a little bit differently next we're gonna use the following we're gonna do the same thing but we're gonna do it at our cruise altitude and our cruise altitude temperature so our cruise pressure altitude was 6620 feet and our temperature was 11 degrees celsius we're gonna find 11 degrees draw a straight line up to where it meets 6620 feet do the best we can eyeballing it draw a straight line to the right horizontal line to the right and then it's gonna cross the three curves for fuel time and distance much easier to read because the, the lines are now spaced out. So where it intersects each line, so where it intersects fuel, we're gonna draw a straight line down. Where it intersects time, we're gonna draw a straight line down. Where it intersects distance, we're gonna draw a straight line down. Again, we have a picture of exactly this in the ground school. So if you're in the ground school, go pull this up and it'll be really helpful to get that visual. So when we do this, we'll read off the values for fuel time and distance. At the bottom, we get fuel four gallons, time 14 minutes and distance 22.5 nautical miles. Now that we have done the work to get values of fuel time and distance at both our departure airport and our cruising altitude, we can now find total distance, total distance it'll take for us to make the climb. We can also calculate the total fuel it will take to do our climb. But again, 
This lesson is focusing just on distance. We'll get to fuel later, but these are the fuel values that you'll need. So to do this, we simply subtract the value from our lower altitude where we took off from and the value of our higher altitude where we get to cruise. So that's going to be 22.5 nautical miles minus 1.5 nautical miles. So those are the results of the two chart sessions we just did, right? And that gives us a difference of 21 nautical miles. We now have the distance to climb from a pressure altitude of 620 feet at our departure altitude to our cruising pressure altitude of 6,620 feet. So that's a climb of 6,000 feet. And it's gonna take us in these weather conditions, 21 nautical miles. In these weather conditions and with this aircraft, PA 28-161, that's how long it's gonna take us in terms of distance, 21 nautical miles. So we record this value in our cross country worksheet somewhere. We're just gonna to wanna to note this. And then what I would do, what I highly recommend is kind of saying, okay, it's gonna take us 21 nautical miles. So let's put a checkpoint exactly 21 nautical miles away from our starting airport, okay? So that means once you get to that checkpoint, you should be done climbing or just about done climbing and you can start cruise after that. All right, so the last thing here I want to talk about is climb performance with a Cessna. All right, Cessna opts to use a table. So we use the example of a warrior where they have the chart, the graph. You're gonna see that on the FAA written and you might also see a table format like Cessna uses. So they can test you on both on the FAA written. So Cessna opts to use a table to display their climb performance data rather than a chart. I personally like a chart because you don't have to interpolate, but the overall process is the same three steps of finding your fuel time and distance values at your takeoff airport pressure altitude, and then finding them again at your level off cruise pressure altitude, and then determining the differences between the two sets of values. Using the same example, let's say 620 feet we're taking off from. So we're gonna have to interpolate between the sea level row and the 1000 foot row, okay? So we're gonna have to do that and we'll come up with a distance. It looks like that'll be about like 1.2. Then we do this again for our cruise altitude. So 6,600 feet was our pressure altitude, 620 feet. So we'll interpolate between 6,000 and 7,000 rows. So that looks like it'll give us about like 13 nautical miles. So then we do 13, subtract the one. What did I say, 1.4 or something like that? Or 1.2? So we do 13 by about 1.4. We're gonna about 11 nautical miles in a Cessna, it'll take us to climb to a Cessna. Now, again, this doesn't mean that Cessnas are way better at climb performance. Whatever aircraft I got for the Cessna example, and I can't remember what it was, has better performance than the Warrior of the example I got. So yes, that is true. It'll take that this particular Cessna about half the time, half the distance to climb to our cruise altitude. But that's how you do it. Again, I like the chart better, but doesn't matter if you fly a Cessna, you're gonna have to use its chart and do that. All right, so that is it. That's the example we got. We have a video on me showing exactly how to do that. I'll put that in the show notes. And then again, if you were following along or if you weren't following along, maybe give this another listen while you can see the visuals in the course. I think that will be very, very helpful. All right, so we're gonna call it quits on this episode today. We're gonna continue tomorrow. We're gonna do a very similar thing with our distance to descend so that we kind of have an idea of how long it's gonna take us to descend, where we can kind of plan our checkpoints to start our descent, right? The top of our descent and all that. And then that's a little bit of a shorter lesson. So then we'll probably get into then calculating our airspeeds next. Continuing on the nav log, and we're gonna do our distance to descend. Once we have our checkpoints set, we know how long it's gonna take us to climb, how long it's gonna take us to descend. Then we're gonna get into our airspeeds so we can finally come up with some of these last remaining values of our nav. All right, so thank you all for listening. And until next week, I will catch you later. 
Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times. And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family they finally say you know what this has to stop we can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress you know and they end up quitting now so how do we avoid that well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school, 
We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos, or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on online ground school, and we'll see you inside the online ground school. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.